today we are going to go into God's Word, and we're going to be going into Jeremiah actually for the last time uh, together. And so for five months, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, January 2nd, we've been in uh, Jeremiah together, and today's actually going to be our last sermon in Jeremiah. And so if you would turn in your scriptures to Jeremiah 31, we're going to be reading uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34 together. And this will be the last bit of scripture that we work through in this amazing book. This is Jeremiah 31. I'll start reading from verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. So good to be with you guys again. Um, thank you for all of you who um, have asked me about my family. They're doing well. Uh, we had a big COVID wave hit our home, and um, everyone is recovering. Thank you for asking about my father. Um, he's doing much better. Um, he's at home, and he's recovering, and I just am really grateful uh, for being in this community with you and getting all the prayers uh, from all of you, from my family. So thank you so much uh, for loving us and caring for us. Uh, we're in Jeremiah for the last time. Five months we've been in this book. Uh, January 2nd of this year, I opened with the book of Jeremiah, and I warned you that Jeremiah is not a feel-good book, Uh, that even though it was the first Sunday of the year, I said that this book that we're about to open is actually, it's a pretty hard-hitting book. It's a truth-telling book. It's not a feel-good book, Um, and it's been exposing us for five months. Um, But I don't know about you, but I've grown an appreciation uh, for this book uh, more than ever, Uh, One of the reasons is because even though he has been exposing our hearts and exposing the sin in our hearts, I feel like God's also been showing us and exposing his heart. Uh, He's been telling us a lot about who he is and telling us in honesty and vulnerability the desires of his heart. And um, I've grown to really honor and love this book of Jeremiah. Um, But admittedly, there's a lot of failure in this book, right? We've seen a lot of indictment, sin, tension, um, because the people that Jeremiah is speaking to, they failed a lot, a lot of failure and sin. And we've seen that um, for the past five months. Well, today, as we close the book, we close the book at the high point of this book. We close it at the high point of Jeremiah at Jeremiah 31. Uh, Because in Jeremiah 31, he speaks to us about how he's going to bring all of these tensions and failures to a resolution. And the way that he's going to bring it to a resolution is by way of covenant. Covenant. And so we're going to talk about this word covenant, what it means, and what's wrong with the old covenant, that there's a new covenant. But that's what he's introducing to us today. A whole resolution, a final resolution that's brought by the new covenant. And when we look at this, we see three things. One, we see the problem of the old covenant. Uh, We see the promise of the new covenant. And we're going to see the power that it brings. So we're going to see the problem of the old, the promise of the new, and then the power 
that comes with this new covenant. And um, I think that you'll see that when we look at this new covenant, it should change our lives. And there's a miracle here at the end, and I'll give you a hint, the miracle is not Jesus. Um, there is a miracle that's presented to us in this new covenant that we'll explore together. Um, and so let's bow our heads one more time and ask God to help us as we look into this amazing new covenant together. Father, we come to you with our heads bowed in great expectancy because we know that your word is living and alive. We know that your spirit is moving. And so we're waiting. We sit in expectancy because our God is alive and he has something to say. And so, Father, we open up our minds and hearts to you. We say, here we are. Your servant is listening. Won't you speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we begin with the problem of the old covenant. Um, and so let's read uh, verse 31 and 32 together one more time, and then we'll kind of unpack what it means uh, that he's making a covenant with us. This is verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Obviously, the word covenant comes up a lot, and so maybe we should start there. What is a covenant? I think it's important for us to kind of explore this and make sure we understand. Um, covenant, very simply, is this. A covenant is a way that two people establish their relationship. A uh, covenant tells us how two people um, have expectations of that relationship, how they have commitments to that relationship, and what happens if those commitments are broken. Covenant is something that people have done for a really, really long time. In fact, God's covenant here explains to us how he's going to relate to us, how our relationship is going to be formed, and it's based on this covenant idea that's been around for a really, really long time. Um, in fact, at the time of the Hittites, there was a covenant that they made with one another whenever a big promise uh, was made. Um, and it would go like this. Actually, Brian, can you come up here for one second? So I didn't prepare him for this, but he's fine. So go like this. Stand next to me with this arm, that, uh, your, your, I guess, left arm. And so this is what the, the Hittites um, used to do and other ancient peoples used to do. So if Brian and I were going to get in a business agreement or something like that, we would maybe put a shawl around our arms and we would uh, recite the actual elements of our promise to each other. And then we would take a goat or a lamb or a bull, and then we would slit the throat of that animal. And then the blood would splatter on Brian and the blood would splatter on me, and we would make a commitment to each other. That would be a covenant. Thanks, Brian. Um, if you think about it, that's a much better way to come to an agreement than like signing a document the way that we do it because you would go to the bank and you would make a covenant and you would come home uh, with blood on your person and you would think, man, I better pay this mortgage because <laughs> there's some real consequences if I don't. You see, the covenant established the relationship between two people and throughout the Old Testament, you see God making various covenants with the people of God and each time he makes a covenant, it deepens the relationship between God and sinner, and it makes it wider, and, and it makes it uh, more complex. He makes the covenant with Adam, and then with Noah, and then with Abraham, and then with David, and each time, the nature of the relationship deepens between God and man. 
That's what covenant is. You know, when my wife and I, uh, when we were in college, that's where we met. And uh, my wife is actually two and a half years older than me. And so when we were in college, that's a big age difference. Now, after college, it's like nothing. But then when you're in college, two and a half years is a pretty big distance. You're like three grades apart, right? Almost. Um, And so for us, when we uh, met, I was not so much like a peer friend, but I was like a younger brother to her when we first met. And then after college, when we started hanging out more and more, um, it it was really through flag football. I was a flag football coach for the girls team at our church, and we started to get closer. And when we started to get closer and hang out more, I was not so much a little brother to her anymore, but the more we hang out, I was more of a friend. And then from there, we started to get to know each other a little bit more, and I realized, oh, I really... I think she's like an interesting person. I like her. And then eventually I asked her out on a date. And at that point, our relationship was established again. We were not just friends. We were more than friends, right? So our relationship continued to change, right? And each time, um, the kind of expectations that we had of each other changed. And of course, everything changed that one day when we both stood before an altar and we made a covenant, with one another. And that would be uh, the biggest change, the ultimate change. When I would stand with my wife and I said, I, Dave, take you, Hime, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. Covenant. I said it, she said it, And God said, amen. And from that point on, our relationship was reestablished, changed forever. That's what covenant is. It describes the nature of the relationship and how God and man are going to relate to one another. And in the Old Testament, the way that God made covenant with man was through law, was through a law. You see, he spoke to Moses and said, I saved you out of Egypt, and now you and I, we're going to establish a covenant together, and that's going to describe the nature of my relationship with these people. And so God made a covenant with Moses, and he's coming down the mountain with this law that would describe their relationship together, and it would, in in a way, describe their relationship as it is in in the future. It had all the promises inside of that covenant. God is going to make promises to man, and he's going to act in a certain way. I will be your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right? And you will be my special people. I will have no other people before you. You're going to be my people. And in the same way, I will be your God. You're going to have no God before me. I will have no people before you. That was their covenant together. But in many ways, that covenant was stillborn. Because as soon as Moses comes down from the mountain, they had already created another God. They had taken their jewelry and put together a calf and said, that's our God. And that covenant from the very beginning was broken. That's why when you look at the passage here, 
In verse 32, he says, This new covenant will not be like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand. See how intimate this is? I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. The original covenant, broken, stillborn. That's the problem with the old, old covenant. It was broken from the very beginning. And so God had to go and he had to even make even more laws. In fact, he had to create a whole system of sacrifices because what should have happened when God's people broke that covenant? They should have been divorced. You said I was going to be your God and then you broke that, then we're done. But instead of that, what God did was he mended the relationship. He did something to make it possible for them to stay together even though they broke covenant. He came up with a whole system of sacrifices that would keep that relationship going called Leviticus. That book of the Bible that when you start your annual reading plan, it destroys all hope and future for your commitment to God. That book of Leviticus that you read and you're like, what is all this stuff? That book is actually super important because after they broke covenant, God did not want to divorce his people, and so he made a way for them to stay with God. And so now when they broke a law, when they broke um, one of God's commands and sinned, they would sacrifice an animal, and that animal would help keep them together. That sacrifice and that repentance would keep the relationship going. That was the old covenant, through sacrifices, through the law, through works. But in many ways, it was very incomplete, and it was lacking in a lot of ways because there was no real progress in the relationship. You see, every time you sinned, you would kill an animal, and basically that's what you would do when you came to worship. And so you came into worship in the negative, you would sacrifice your animal, and then you would be back at zero. There would be very little progress, and there would be very little love and relationship in it. And not only that, those sacrifices, you had to sacrifice them all the time, all the time in the Old Covenant. And this is what the, the author of Hebrews, he picks up on this um, weakness of the Old Covenant, and this is what he writes to us in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 1 to 4. He says, this was the issue, the problem. For since the law has but a, a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He says, here's one problem. They got forgiveness for their sins, but their hearts didn't change. Nothing really changed about them. This was just religion in the most flat sense. Um, they would just come and get their forgiveness and leave, but it didn't do anything, and they had to keep coming back to it. And those sacrifices could never really forgive their sins. Let's read verse 2. It says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That was one of the issues, the problems with the Old Covenant. They had to keep offering sacrifices. And can you imagine what it's like to be in a religion like that? Where basically every time you come to worship God, you come guilty unsure about your relationship with God because you, this 
relationship with God hung on this sacrifice that you brought to God. And so your relationship with God will be broken, mended, broken, mended. Every time you bring a sacrifice, it would be mended. Every time you sinned, it would be broken. There was no assurance of salvation. And this is not what God wanted. This was the old covenant, and this is not what God wanted. Imagine how guilt-ridden you would have felt. Every time you come to church, you just feel like you're just messed up. And there's always this unease, this tension between you and God because you know that your relationship is broken. And every week, your relationship with God is in jeopardy. All the time, your salvation hangs on the balance, depending on if you can get a sacrifice or not. And God said, this isn't working. This isn't working. This is not what it was supposed to be. God had in mind a marriage, a development, and a deepening of the relationship. But this was just getting back to zero. And every sinner who came was unsure about their salvation. God said, this is not working. So in Jeremiah 31, he gives a promise of a better covenant. A sure promise. The promise of a new covenant that would deal with the problems that the old covenant had. And so this is the promise of the new covenant. Let's read verse 34. It's going to address all of those problems. I'm just going to read the last sentence of verse 34. Here is the crux of what the new covenant is. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, God says, I will one day, I promise one day I'm going to make a new covenant. We're going to reestablish our relationship, and we're going to have a new kind of relationship. And here's the centerpiece of the new covenant. I will forever forgive you. I will give you final forgiveness for your sins. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with the fathers, where there was going to be, where there was sin and the relationship was broken. A sin relationship was broken. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you final forgiveness. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. You see how radical that is? For the Old Testament people, it would have been very difficult to imagine this because they've never experienced anything like this before. An unbroken relationship. In fact, an unbreakable relationship. I will forgive their iniquity. But here's the other part. I will remember their sins no more. You know, that's really, really important for us. I don't know if you ever had done something to someone you loved And after trying to reconcile with them, they said, okay, you know, I forgive you. Let's just move on. I forgive you. But the next time you see that person and you interact with them, doesn't it feel a little bit weird? Because you're thinking, I know that you forgave me, but are you still thinking about what I did? Are you still remembering what I did? I know you said you forgave me, but it's awkward. We feel distanced. Are you thinking about what I did even though you forgave me? Don't you see what God says? Not only will I forgive your iniquity, I will make it like you never sinned. I will forget your sins. I will remember your sins no more. I don't want to be awkward with you. I don't want there to be a distance. I will make it like you never sinned. Our intimacy will never be affected. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. You see, he wants to deal not only with our guilt, but he wants to deal with our shame. 
Not only does he want forgiveness, but he wants intimacy. A final forgiveness offered in this new covenant in Jeremiah. Think about how radical that is. For five months we've been in Jeremiah. We've talked about all the ways that the people of God sinned against God. All of those sins are just a drop in the ocean compared to the sins that God would forgive in the new covenant once and for all. A final forgiveness. Now, if you are the people of the Old Testament, the thing that you will be thinking is, but how? Right? He doesn't outline exactly how this is going to happen. So the Old Testament people of God were probably wondering, but how? Because your frame of reference for religion and forgiveness is you have to kill something. You have to kill something in order to get forgiveness. And everything in Leviticus kind of has this refrain, it must be a sacrifice without blemish. If you're going to come and get forgiveness for one particular sin, you have to bring a sacrifice that is of no blemish, no issues, spot on it. Now, you have to remember how hard that must have been. You know, every morning, I prepare strawberries for my girls, right? And my girls like strawberries. And you know what I'm always surprised by? Is that all of them have a blemish. If you buy a packet of strawberries and you take out the strawberries, it's very hard to find a strawberry that has nothing on it. No blemish on it. And um, I'm always thinking, what's happening to these strawberries that every single one of them has like a spot or a blemish on it? Imagine going out to your field and looking at all your goats. And you need to offer a sacrifice for your sin. And you look at all your goats and you think, oh my gosh, they all have blemishes. And then you look at all your bulls. Oh my gosh, they all have blemishes. What am I going to do? You see, the way that you got forgiveness in that time was you, something had to die, and it had to be without blemish. And so when God says, I'm going to give you in the new covenant a brand new covenant, final forgiveness, once and for all, husbands and wives, if I told you that there was something you could do that would cover all of your apologies for the rest of your marriage, right? We would jump on that, right? Every one of us would jump on that because if we can guarantee anything, it's that we're going to mess up in our marriage, right? But you would ask one question. How? How? That was the question that the Old Testament people were asking, and they did not understand how this would happen. It's not like God is going to wake up one day and say, you know what, all those sins, I don't care about them anymore. It's okay. It's okay, just, just sin, God's not going to do that. If anybody knew that God took sin seriously, it was them. Old Testament people who always had blood on them when they got home from church. They knew more than anybody that God cares about sin. He takes it seriously. They wouldn't understand how it would happen until one day, there's a weird-looking guy wearing weird clothes in the wilderness baptizing people, and he would look up and he would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And no one understood. What is he talking about? He was saying the new covenant has come. 
but they didn't understand what it meant until you have 12 guys sitting around the table around Jesus at the Passover, and Jesus, he lifts up a piece of bread, and he goes, this is my body. And they're thinking, huh? That's bread, not your body. He says, no, this is my body broken for you. Okay? And he picks up the cup, and instead of saying, this is the cup of our suffering, he says, this is the cup of the New covenant in my blood. New covenant? I can imagine they just stop. He's not talking about the new covenant that's in Jeremiah, is he? That's exactly what he was talking about. This is the new covenant in my blood. But they didn't fully understand. And Jesus would be on a cross at Calvary, and then he would scream at the end of his life with his final breath, it is finished. He's saying no more goats and bulls, no more sacrifices, no more living in defeat, no more coming to church and all you feel is guilt, no more religion where you just feel bad all the time. It is finished, all of it. It is finished. And he gives up his life, the only sacrifice without blemish the divine Jesus himself, the final sacrifice for all of us, for all time, a final forgiveness for sins. My brothers and sisters, we call that the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was the new covenant, in other words, the new way that God established that we would relate to him. Remember, that's what covenant means? Establishing how God and man would relate. And when Jesus Christ became the sacrifice of the new covenant, God is saying, this is how I'm going to relate to you. In the past, it was, this is how I'm going to relate to you, the law. You and me, this is how we're going to get together. But now he says, this is how we're going to get together. My lamb, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Um, I'm really glad you're here at church. Maybe you're here because you felt like I need a little bit of God in my life. Maybe you're not sure how to get a little bit of God in your life, but you thought maybe going to church was a good step. I want to tell you that if you want a little God in your life, the way that God has established for you to get him is through this covenant, this way of getting to God, and that is belief in Jesus Christ in his sacrifice for you. That is how you get to God. That is the new covenant in his blood. And if we come to God through Christ, we have final forgiveness in Christ. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? It was unthinkable in the Old Testament. Unthinkable that that would happen. And what Jesus had to do, what God the Father had to do in order to create this perfect sacrifice is he took the eternal son of God and made him killable. He had to make someone eternal killable so that he could be the final sacrifice for all sins, for all time. We call that the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of how he made the new covenant with us. And that's how we get to God. And that's the final forgiveness that we have in Christ. Now, the last thing I want to tell you about is 
not only the, the problem of the Old Testament covenant, the promise of the new covenant, but now the power of living in this new covenant. You see, for those who come through Jesus to God in this new covenant, there's not just pardon, but there's power. And there's a miracle that comes with it because we are the ones who actually take up this new covenant. Let me read you verse 33, um, and we'll finish with the power of this new covenant. This is what it says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the, the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the thing. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The biggest issue with the old covenant was not the law, but it was their heart. Their heart didn't change. Remember, the writer of Hebrews says no matter how many sacrifices they killed, their heart wasn't changed. And so God says in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, I'm going to go straight to the problem. I'm just going to bypass everything. I'm just going to go straight to where the issue is, your heart. And I will give them a new heart. A heart upgraded in the new covenant that can actually respond to my commands, that can actually live out my obedience in a way that pleases me. It's going to be an upgraded, beautiful, powerful heart. It's going to be a miracle, a miracle heart. And I'm going to put that heart inside of my people. Let me read you from Ezekiel. This is how Ezekiel puts it. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put into you. That's the second part. Not only is he going to give us a new heart that can actually respond to God, but he's also going to fill us with the spirit. And the Spirit of God and a, and a revived heart are going to interact to create this miraculous new people called Christians. Verse 26 again, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I'm going to do a miracle. And sometimes we get really jealous of Old Testament miracles. We think, man, I can't believe that God actually spread the Red Sea so that they could walk through it. If I could just see that miracle. I can't believe God created a pillar of cloud and they every day saw this miraculous tornado thing that they walked behind. If I could just see that, that would do it for me. But don't you see that God is saying, those miracles, they don't hold a candle to what I'm about to do in the new covenant. Because I'm going to take dry bones, and I'm actually going to make it become flesh. And I'm going to do a new miracle in the new covenant. And you know what that new miracle is? That new miracle is you. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. The promise and power of the new covenant fulfilled is you. You are the blood-bought, final forgiveness, Holy Spirit-filled, new changed people that all the people in the Old Testament were envious to see one day. Because they heard from Jeremiah that God promises that he's going to create a people with new hearts, full of the Spirit, the law written on their heart, not on tablets of stone. And they must have said, man, if I could just meet one, 
If I could just meet someone like that, they're so lucky. We, we saw some miracles, but it didn't change our hearts. We saw some miracles, but they will be the miracle. Man, how amazing it's going to be. Imagine if the Old Testament people could send a news crew and a camera crew to you guys. You know what they would ask? They would ask you lots of questions. If they could teleport from the time Jeremiah said those, these words and they could send a camera crew to you guys, they would ask you questions like, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to have the Holy Spirit in you? Does it hurt? Like, what is it like? What is the new heart like? What does it feel like to never have to offer sacrifice again? What does it feel like to always be forgiven? What does it feel like to have a final forgiveness from Jesus Christ? What does it feel like? Can you fly? Don't you see? We are the miracle of the new covenant. But you don't feel like it because we've only begun to scratch the surface of what it means to be a Holy Spirit Christian. We've only begun to scratch the surface of living in this obedience and walking in this obedience under the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, you are this miracle. This new covenant miracle that Jesus has accomplished, that's you. And my brothers and sisters, I really call you today to live into that. You have a heart of flesh, a kind of heart that the Old Testament people dreamed about having. You're filled with the Spirit in a way that the Old Testament people could not even think about. That's you. My brothers and sisters, if we follow, walk with the Spirit more and more, you'll be able to actually actualize this. That's the thing about the new covenant. You can actually change. The power is with you because of his promise. We have to live into this. And maybe you feel like, you know, you don't see anything miraculous or huge happening, but it's happening in you. Let me just give you one example. You're talking to your wife, and um, all of a sudden you feel God's spirit say to you, you need to pray for your wife. You've never prayed with your wife ever before. Right? It's awkward. Sometimes you feel like you should, but you've never done it. But the Holy Spirit says to you, you need to pray with your wife. And you say to your wife, uh, babe, can I pray for you? And she says, why? Right? What are you doing? You say, I don't know. I just feel like God's telling me to pray for you. She goes, okay. But the more you do that, the more filled with the Spirit you are. And the more obedient you become, and the more spiritual power you have. And as you live into that more and more, your wife goes to brunch one day with her friends, and she says, something's happening to my husband. He keeps praying for me. And he keeps asking me about these things, and he is changing. I don't know what's going on with him. You know what's happening? He's got a new covenant heart that is able to not only listen to God's word, but have the word of God written on his heart. He has the kind of heart that responds to the Holy Spirit. And he's changing to be the miracle, new covenant people that Jesus has made us to be. Lean into that this week. Let's pray.